You with the panel, RNZ National, good afternoon. Now a crash was blocking the northbound Green Lane on-ramp, the leftmost on-ramp from Green Lane East, not the on-ramp from the roundabout directly, but that has just been cleared and is open as normal. Continue to expect delays. Also, keep uh, the feedback coming regarding the panel snap poll this afternoon. Should we raise the age of retirement uh, to 67 uh, currently at 65. Uh, 2101 email the panel at rnz.co.nz. Results at 4.35. Keep it at 65. As a teacher, I'm nearly 65. I'm exhausted. I cannot keep working in this job. Another one here, Eleanor says, I think the retirement age should be raised. The majority are living longer, and this should ensure eligibility and funds for future generations. Denmark has an indexed system. Keep it coming, 2101. To this, though, most record-stickered locals in Murawai are choosing not to pay their rates due tomorrow. Many red-stickered Auckland residents don't have rates relief. They are required to pay rates for services they cannot use, and they have the additional cost of temporary accommodation to deal with. Hastings District Council, for example, have granted a rates remission for all Red Sticket Homes automatically to discuss. We have Murawai resident Carolyn Bell Booth. Carolyn, kia ora. Hi, Wallace. Lovely to reconnect with you again. Good to have you on. So we talked to you just after these uh, floods, uh, and you're back with us today. And rates are due tomorrow, Carolyn. You've spoken to Sticket owners planning not to pay? Yes, and just a... a a common uh, assumption is that Muriwai was damaged with flooding, and this story often gets confused in the media. We were, of course, hit with landslips, which has put us in a much more difficult and precarious position, particularly pertaining to our insurance policies and what they will cover. So, yes, we, like other residents in West Auckland, we are also displaced, and so... With a looming financial crisis in front of us and that our temporary accommodation and personal resources are rapidly dwindling, it's been very hard to justify paying for services that we are not receiving um, because ultimately our payment of rates would be another week or two of rent of keeping our family safe in our temporary accommodation whilst we wait for government and council to define policy and work towards resolution. Yeah, just going back to what you were saying, uh, the the, the damage wasn't like the others, uh, but it must be... a. I'm just thinking, what a situation to be in. To take your example, I think, uh, Carolyn, your house, it's still standing, isn't it? Yes. So, in our And yet you can't live case, there? No. And the reason for that is the imminent risk of more um, land coming down from the council reserve that adjoins our property. That's not um, unique to my property. No. Only all my neighbours had... Um, the reserve collapse on or into their homes. and um, But the trick for most Muriwai residents is that um, unlike flooding, we don't, some houses haven't actually had damage. So it's more about the risk of land going. And so what an insurance company does is they say, well, there's been no actual 
damage to your home, the, the damage to your property is minimal, if anything. So there's nothing to claim against. Oh. So most residents here do not have any insurance coverage right now, despite being fully insured. We haven't received any payouts. We don't have the ability to make claims because the insurance companies will say that there's no actual damage to our home. We've got a we've got a uh, panel here. Uh, let's bring Sue Bradford in. Sue, what a predicament to be in. Yes, I find it incomprehensible that the council hasn't Auckland Council hasn't done what Hastings obviously has. Um, I do wonder what councillors are thinking. What what is on their minds that they can't just simply do that? It's not something that seems very difficult to at least um, give rates remission for the period for all red sticker homes because it's not just Mirawai. Um, even out on the coast, there's other people in in the same situation, much less in other parts of Auckland. Um, it's just incredible. Um, and yes. what people are going through. And, and behind that, there's this huge question, I think, for the future and with climate change and weather events about insurance and how much ins- how many of our properties will still be able to be insured in future ongoing is, is a huge question that this country hasn't really looked at. Carolyn. Yes, thank you, sir. I mean, the confusion we, we also appreciate, but we, we are aware that council and government are facing an unprecedented situation. So we understand that this takes time and indeed it will set a precedent for the rest of the country as we move forward. However, what we haven't received is any assurances that whilst that process takes place, that our ability to continue to pay our mortgages and rent on top of that will be assisted when our own personal resources, namely our insurance accommodation allowances, run out. So, for example, in Muriwai, people start running out of money in July. Uh, most people will run out of money by the end of August. And we also know that the geotechnical studies that the council are uh, uh, doing at the moment in order to define what should happen to our properties, that's also going to take until August. So unless at the end of August the government and council can simultaneously provide a solution for everybody, what we're heading for on this current trajectory is that people will foreclose on their mortgages, people are directly heading for bankruptcy, and the only alternative to that is for families to move back into their red sticker homes in order to meet their other financial obligations. Uh, Dean. Yeah, I mean, that that, seem, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Hopefully the, the middle ground would be, hey, we you know need to tidy it up for the future. It might set precedence in that, but temporarily at least suspend payments of them, um, even if they you know want to look at the issue further. I'm, I'm just hoping that it's just fallen through the cracks as everything else has been busy because it, I think everyone thinking about it would say the common sense answer here is if you can't use the place, surely um, there'd be some kind of remission there. So what's um, what's what's next? I mean, uh, from Murawai, I mean, what's the situation like there now? Well, Wallace, honestly, not much has changed since we last spoke a few days. Is that after right? The cyclone. What has happened is that the debris has largely been cleared from Motutara Road, which is the main road that Auckland. Um, Aucklanders will be familiar with. There is increasing pressure on the council to open up Muriwai so people can walk their dogs and ride their horses and go fishing as, as we would all love them to be able to do. But the truth is, is we only have one road in at the moment, which is currently eroding on a daily basis, like visibly eroding. 
And meanwhile, the main road, whilst the debris has been cleared, it has houses off their foundations precariously resting just above the road, like literally resting on trees. So access to this town is not safe, and we need to work initially to get two roads in and out. And um, we'd really appreciate just some understanding from the community that we're in a precarious position at the moment. I mean, the state of it is that we're still having water tanked in. You know, tank it in yeah. each day. Just like can I ask before we go, um, Karen? Because I did, uh, you know, the, the, that those months ago, uh, have you on just after these floods? Where, where are you? Where are you? Can I just ask where are you? Where are you living? We are living on Waitia Road, which is the road I mentioned, the only road in <laughs> currently eroding, which is why I'm aware of it. Um, and we chose to stay in our community and try and fight as hard as we could to help restore this beautiful little town, not only for the residents, but for the rest of Auckland and New Zealand to to enjoy. And, you know, it's sort of dishearteningly slow progress. We're waiting with anticipation for the imminent announcement from Grant Robertson about the way in which the government will uh, deal with red-sticker properties, and that will allow council to at least start okay. a process. But just to bring it back to the main conversation, yep. we've only got to the plan being announced and we're all running out of money. So um, we're, we're in a really financially and emotionally precarious position. I right really now. appreciate you having uh, time for, with us on the panel this afternoon, Carolyn. Thank you. Thank you so much. Murawai resident Carolyn Balboot there. Um, quite a situation, isn't it, Sue? And as you say, uh, the future may hold more such situations around the Mortu. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sue Bradford, Dean Hall with us um, on the panel. 18 past four. Arawatia, Shared Zone, Te Arapuaki Expressway, Atua Ahapuri, local shops. Waka Kotahi is consulting on his Tohu Huarahi Māori bilingual traffic signs program. Now, this would replace old destination signs, public and active transport signs, walking and cycling signs, general advisory and warning signs, and motorway and expressway signs. It has become a political flashpoint. National Simeon Brown told a community meeting that, quote-unquote, we all speak English, they should all be English. They've since walked that back with senior MP Chris Bishop now stating the party supports them in principle. Consultation is open for the next five weeks. That would get Professor Ella Henry on, who is the Director of Māori Advancement at AUT Business School. Professor Henry, tēnā thank you for your time this afternoon. Oh, kia ora, kia ora, ngamahi. Are you surprised how big an issue this has become, Dr Henry? Consultation opens next minute. Here we go. Well, I think it's interesting because it, it is an election year um, and Māori are, and the whole issue around te reo Māori, te tiriti, co-governance, all of these things are flashpoints because there's such a fundamental difference between the two major political parties. So pretty much everything around Māori issues in the lead-up to an election is going to be highly contentious, highly political and, and obviously cause a lot of uh, discussion and dispute. Yeah, uh, I mean, do you do you think it is more about political positioning? National saying that you know we're going to take off the table in uh, an election year everything but the basics and tax pa- tax cuts. Is this 
in your sense, political? I mean, it is a grandstanding issue, and it will attract a certain type of New Zealander um, to the National Party who feels, you know, aggrieved that there has been this revitalisation and renaissance of Māori culture and identity. So that is a that is a segment of our New Zealand community that they obviously see as part of their constituency that they want to attract. I'm heartened by much of the research coming out, which shows that actually a significant majority of New Zealanders are not challenged by these changes, are quite comfortable calling the country Aotearoa New Zealand, saying kia ora, morena. You know, it's, right. um, it's, a, it's something that's becoming a, a unique and distinctive yeah. factor about our identity that a lot more people, I think, are quite comfortable with. Sue and Dean, they'll have uh, uh, views on this too, um, Ella. Is there a point in saying, look, bilingual is fine, libraries, swimming pools, airport signage, bilingualism, no issue, but given our, say, road statistics, clarity of road signs, that has to take precedence. Well, perhaps at this point in time, but let's be clear that New Zealand in 30 years from now, Aotearoa New Zealand is going to be demographically quite different and the generation that are going through education systems now are going to be much more comfortable with te reo Māori, with English and with sign language, our three languages as we move forward. So we're really just um, future-proofing, I think. Sue Bradford. I think it's fantastic that we're having the road signs in both languages. Um, I remember travelling to, I think it was Ireland, and seeing the signs in both languages, and I thought, wow, I'm in a forest. This is amazing that they've kept their language, and I just feel um, really humbled that finally Aotearoa might be catching up. I think it's great, and um, it'll be good <laughs> good for our tourism industry, actually, um, but also good for all of us who are constantly trying to learn a few more words of uh, Te Reo Māori every day. Um, already I can see on these signs words I don't know, and I think, wow, that's cool, that's another way of learning. Um, I don't think it distracts from the traffic. I think it's great. Okay, support of Dean Hall. I mean, I drove around the Czech Republic for two years and they weren't even bilingual. Uh, most of the signs were just in Czech. So, and I, whatever incidents I had were my own, not, nothing to do with reading. I do worry, though. I, I think sometimes we pile a lot of stuff onto our transport agencies and stuff to deal with the police and that. And I think we've got to make sure they've got the resources to deal with this stuff. So I think, you know, we can't just keep piling on requirements for them to have to deal with that. So, but I find the safety aspect just bizarre. Well, on that um, then, uh, Ella, is it up to our roading agency to teach us about Te Reo Māori? Well, let's be clear. If you drive around Auckland, you will find a giant sign on the motorway that says Sylvia Park. We have signs for supermarkets on our roads. So I think we've got room for some signs in Te Reo Māori because it was protected in Te Tiriti or Waitangi. Kia ora, Ella. Yeah, better response here. Uh, by the way, a lot of people said um, uh, they've gone to Wales, and we've got a, a producer here, Merden, who's who talked about this quite a bit, uh, Ella. And Welsh Welsh language standards says that where a sign contains the Welsh language as well as the English language, the Welsh language text must be positioned so as to be read first. So that's that. That's the issue in Wales. So. I guess, uh, Professor Henry, there is uh, there is precedent in other, in other countries. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we know that Wales and Scotland and Northern Ireland are part of Britain. But as, as you said, Sue, you know, you feel there's a complete difference the moment you go over that soft border between Northern Ireland and into air, that you see a real celebration of Irish culture, the celebration of Welsh, Welsh culture. That does not take away from English or British identity. It actually enhances it. And I think the same is true here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Uh, kia ora, Ella. Yeah, it's exactly how it struck struck me then, and I think people will find it find it striking when they first touch on our shores now to see the language um, far more widely used. Do you think that will be an aspect, uh, Ella? Because the, the often talked about you going to the like Wales and actually having that enrichment of culture via that language. Oh, it's right there on the road signs. Do you think that'll be an aspect here once we get used to it, if it happens? Well, if you're ever fortunate enough to go to Hawaii, the first thing that you hit when you get off the plane is aloha, mahalo. <laughs> you know, that's part of uh, who and what they are. And, and mm. I, I see this as enriching our culture, not diminishing it. Right, very good. Kia ora, uh, uh, Ella. Nice to speak with you. As always, that's Ella Henry, the uh, Professor of Māori Advancement at AUT uh, Business School. I lived in Israel for a year. Three languages on all road signs. Hebrew, English, and Arabic. Three languages wasn't an issue there. Have you been to Israel at all, Dean? Uh, no, I haven't actually. Yeah. But uh, actually, good signs should be about symbols. You shouldn't, they shouldn't, in fact, even the way we read, we, we don't properly read the whole word anyway. So I don't know. That's some of the argument I find around safety just bizarre really. If if you have if you've been overseas, like I say, I drove around the Czech Republic for a year. They didn't even have English on most of the signs at all. It's not an easy language either. So very good. All right. Dean Horn and Sue Bradford with me this afternoon and keep that uh, feedback coming for our snap poll. What is that snap poll we're going to be discussing? It's been in the news recently. That is um, whether or not we keep the age of uh, super at 65 or phase it. Uh, into 67, a national enact. They support raising it to 67. Labour, they have uh, said no. Do you support raising it to 67? Yes or no? Uh, why or why not? Keep that feedback coming. 2101. 26 past four, but to this. Hopping on the scales to get weighed before an Air New Zealand flight. It happens once every five years. It's voluntary. No one can see numbers that pop up, even staff. Nonetheless, it is triggering for some people who have issues around their weight. Scales will be set up at the entrance to the gate lounges. Would you hop on this afternoon if you're asked to? Uh, Here's a couple of uh, uh, responses. I understand their view on why they have to do this, but getting a weigh-in can potentially be very harmful and triggering for some, says one. Um, I'm happy to be weighed for $50. Air New Zealand monetised little extras like a check bag, so it seems only fair that they pay me to step on their scales. Round the panel on this, Sue Bradford. Uh, I must admit, when I first saw saw this, I thought, my goodness, there's going to be a lot of resistance and fear around it. But once I realised that um, the actual weight was was not going to be shown anywhere, what what difference does it make? I'd ha- I'd, I'd do it. I mean, I can understand why the uh, the airlines do need to know how much people in their bags weigh and check that every so often because um, I think we're all aware that the weights of people in our country keep going up. 
over over time. And um, so fair enough, I'd rather have aircraft safety. As long as uh, my personal details are protected as well, I'm fine with that. Okay, so that's the issue with yours. You, you, you this afternoon, hop on that scale as long as... <laughs> as, as, long as, as, as the said, people in the queue can't all see what I weigh. <laughs> Which could be embarrassing. Yeah, all right, all right, Miss Bradford. That that is uh, yeah, such and such. Uh, on on you go, Dean Hall. I cannot. Uh, I was in the Air Force. I cannot understate how important it is that it, that aircraft is trimmed correctly. And I'm actually quite cross at the Herald for their headline article. The reason you were confused, as was many, is the emphasis was on the weighing the passengers, not the why. Um, it's so important for the well, aircraft to, to be us. trimmed correctly. If what, it's what? not, you can Google what happens for aircraft. There was one that took off from Baghdad um, when they were removing equipment out and a, um, a, a piece of, uh, it was a tanker or something, and it moved, and the whole aircraft just crashed and exploded. It's it's an awful video. Um, so it's, it really can't be understated. And I'm, I'm actually pretty cross at some of the media for the headline they used because the press release from Air New Zealand made it very clear that we're not weighing passengers to weigh passengers. We need the right data. Otherwise, we can't be safe. If we don't weigh all the passengers getting on, um, then we have to use averages. So it's like the census. If the data's not right, then it's all wrong and you can get awful things happen. You know, we are changing as a population, for so better or for worse. So to, for, so to Sue's point, um, people getting heavier, that is an issue yes. for aircraft. Mm-hmm. If you get on a military aircraft or a helicopter to go mountaineering or whatever, they will weigh you because they need to know exactly what it is. As an alternate, we use averages. We use data. So well, Why can't you use that? Why can't you use averages? Why do you have to have the insult? We have get- to take the averages every five yeah, years, though. Of course. So, you know, and, and so shame on you, New Zealand Herald <laughs> editors. There was a bad... It was one of those uh, clickbait headlines. Oh, but so. come on. Radio a... New Zealand wouldn't do that, though, no, right? No, of no, course, exactly. of course we wouldn't, no. Context. But you would still get on the scales. In fact, Absolutely. You'd, in fact you'd, you'd jump at it. Yep, that's right. Definitely. But I understand people's um, fear around it. But I do. that's why I think it's so important we tell people why. This is, you know, we need those averages to keep people safe. Okay. Very good. You're on the panel on RNZ National. This afternoon we have Sue Bradford and we also have Dean Hall. A uh, lot still to come. We're talking about New Zealand superannuation and we are talking about pitch invaders. It was a ep- <laughs> it was an absolute free-for-all on Saturday night. Numerous people taking the chance to run the Gortland. Shocker, isn't it, Sue? You know, these people who go onto the... Have you been on, been on a pitch before? Yes, I have. I've, yeah. been, I've been a pitch invader. You've been a, <laughs> hold that thought. New Zealand, there's a lot to come on the panel with Sue Bradford and Dean Hall. It's time for headlines.